from Brown Cow Studios in Montana, this is News Nerds. On this week's episode, I talked to John Swartzberg. He is the clinical professor at the School of Public Health at UC Berkeley. He talks to me this week about the CDC's guidance to allow vaccinated citizens to go maskless, school districts' decisions to remove their mask mandates for students and staff, the new FDA approval for a new drug to treat Alzheimer's, and more. Also, the Geographical Location Challenge, where a new country joins the international leaderboard. I'm your host for this week, Ezra Graham, and stay with us because after this, it's News Nerds. Let's now go to my interview with Dr. John Swartzberg. He is the clinical professor at the School of Public Health at UC Berkeley. He talks to me this week about the CDC's guidance to allow vaccinated citizens to go maskless, school districts' decisions to remove their mask mandates for students and staff, the new FDA approval for a new drug to treat Alzheimer's, and more. Let's go to that interview now. Dr. John Swartzberg is the clinical professor emeritus of the School of Public Health at UC Berkeley in the Division of Infectious Diseases, and he joins us now for a third time. Welcome back. Thank you very much. It's good to be back with you. So do you think we're, we are seeing the end of the COVID pandemic right now? Well, we're certainly seeing the pandemic taking a much better turn right now. Um, it's far better than I anticipated six months ago and even three months ago. But we're not through with it yet, and I'm afraid we're going to have to learn to live with this for a good while. So we are, uh, our cases in the United States are going down, but we've seen in the news that uh, countries like India have had cases spike. So what is the world's current situation with COVID? Well, there's an awful lot of people worldwide who are still getting infected, still being hospitalized, and still dying. Fortunately, the terrible time that people in South Asia were having with COVID has improved considerably from two and three weeks ago, but there's still an awful lot of cases every day with an awful lot of deaths. We're also seeing the spread of the virus a particular variant of that virus that's seen in South Asia um, spreading through regional other countries such as Nepal, Taiwan, um, Vietnam, Cambodia. We're also seeing a big problem with SARS-CoV-2 in our southern neighbors, um, Mexico, Central America, and especially South America. Uh, and certain countries within South America are having a considerable problem with, South, with uh, SARS-CoV-2. Uh, Eastern Europe continues to struggle somewhat. Um, and Africa, the data is, continues to be fairly good, um, better than anybody would have thought, um, fortunately. But I still worry about that continent because so few people are vaccinated. There's been also an uptick of cases in Russia. So I guess the bottom line, Ezra, is that we're seeing an awful lot of uh, COVID worldwide. Fortunately, at this time, the United States has really been spared that. So the CDC released guidance about um, vaccinated people and how they may take off their masks 
in public, inside or outside, uh, and that's only if you're vaccinated. So was that CDC guidance too early or um, should it be changed? Well, that's an interesting question. You know, in California, um, the decision was made a month ago when the CDC came out with that guidance to not follow it and to continue stricter guidelines until the middle of this month, actually a week from now. I think California was prudent in doing that. It accomplished a few things. One, it gave us a greater assurance that the numbers would continue to drop so there would be fewer cases when we open things up. And if there are fewer cases, it means fewer people are gonna get infected. But I think the most important thing it did was to, to uh, allow more people to get vaccinated. So when we do open things up in a week, we'll have a lot more people vaccinated than we did a month ago. Also importantly, it gave each individual a chance to adjust to the CDC's new guidelines. You know, we've been spending so much of our lives in the last 14 months, 15 months, um, being so cautious about getting to prevent infection, masking, social distancing, not getting together in large groups, that suddenly saying it's all okay is a lot for most people to adjust to. And I think that buffer zone of a month allowed people to adjust a little bit better to it. So all in all, I think the CDC guidelines um, that we'll be in instituting here in California in a week are reasonable. Frankly, I think um, the institution of those guidelines a month ago were reasonable. So I think that um, we have enough control over this um, virus with, our, with a substantial number of people being vaccinated that it is going to prevent any serious surges like we saw last summer and especially like we saw last December and January. So I know that COVID cases um, and the rates of COVID cases vary across the country. Um, for example, California and Montana have different case rates, but for school districts that are teaching in person, many of them in Montana, my school district has decided that even if the, uh, even if um, teachers or children in the schools are not vaccinated that they're going to take off their the mask mandate so i can't be vaccinated right now because i'm too young and other people in my school can't be vaccinated does that follow the cdc guidance and would is that a good decision for school districts sure well it is frustrating that um the vaccines are not available yet to people under the age of 12 but we have to do the studies to make sure they're both safe and effective. I'm hopeful that by September, we'll have an emergency use authorization for vaccinating children between the ages of six and 11. But younger than that, we probably won't see the availability of vaccines until sometime in the first quarter, probably towards the end of the first quarter of 2022. Getting back to your question about masking, the CDC um, uh, states that uh, at this point that children should be masked in school. And at this point in time, I agree with that. 
So I, I don't think it's a good idea, particularly for older children where, where the transmission of this virus is very much like adults, um, to have people who are not vaccinated um, not wearing masks indoors. The United States is doing remarkably well right now. As you pointed out, some states are better than others. Um, but overall, the U.S. is doing, we're, we're, we have roughly the number of cases right now per day, new cases per day that we're having at, toward the end of March of, of 2020. So we've made incredible progress. And, and the vast majority of this progress can be attributed to vaccination. So in terms of schools, um, I think it's critical that we do reopen schools in the fall. Well, it's actually not the fall. It would be either late August or early September. <clears throat> I think kids need to be back in schools. I think we have to recognize, it's important to recognize that there's a great deal of harm done to children not being able to be in school. We've also learned with quite a few good studies over the last eight months that schools do not represent a, a substantial risk or even a significant risk to children or to the teachers or to the staff as long as reasonable protocols are continued those reasonable protocols would include masking social distancing to the uh, to a modest extent but most importantly good ventilation indoors leaving the windows open if possible and if not making sure there are sufficient air exchanges so I think from a um, school district perspective and from a governmental perspective, um, schools should reopen. Uh, children who can be vaccinated should be vaccinated. Um, people should be wearing masks in school until we have further data. Hopefully that will change. And the proper uh, environment has to be created in those schools, primarily centering around adequate ventilation. So let's go now to vaccines. Um, is, the UNS, is the U.S. taking enough measures on distributing uh, COVID vaccines to other countries that are still developing and need, need those vaccines for their citizens? I think up until very recently, the answer would be no, that we have not done a good job with that. I think in the last few weeks, we've seen a reversal of previous policies. And we are now seeing um, more and more vaccine distributed either th uh, through the WHO um, from the United States or directly from the United States to selected countries. Just today, the U.S. announced that um, uh, quite a few, I think it was in the millions of doses will be the U.S. is purchasing to distribute over the next two years worldwide. So I think the U.S. is now stepping up to the plate. And you know, Ezra, I think th there, there are two good reasons for, for the U.S. participating in this, and not only participating, but frankly, leading the way. Um, from a selfish point of view, if we don't control this virus in all humans on this planet, no one is safe, including us. And also importantly, it's the right thing to do. That is, we have the technology and the scientific ability to produce these wonderful vaccines where many other countries don't. Um, these vaccines prevent enormous human suffering and death. And so I think it's incumbent upon us to 
make sure that we do everything we can to get these vaccines to people who can't, whose countries can't develop them themselves. So what is the rest of the world and specifically wealthy countries like the United States doing to help distribute vaccines? And have they been ahead of us in, in that fight to give um, vaccines to, to developing countries? Well, you know, with COVID, so many things have been unnecessarily politicized. Um, and that's been unfortunate and really destructive to um, a, a robust response to the pandemic. <clears throat> One of the things that's been politicized is, is what's called vaccine diplomacy. Uh, China and Russia have been far ahead of the United States in terms of distributing their vaccines worldwide. Um, for the reasons that we were discussing, it, 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 uh, it's, it's good for the world for them to do that. And it's also paints them in a very good picture to do that. The United States has had to play catch up in that regard. Fortunately, we are now doing that. So um, there are other countries that are distributing these vaccines. Yes, China, Russia, and now the US are leading the way. One solution that uh, countries have come up with is the removal of vaccine patents so that uh, countries could manufacture their own vaccines. So what's the latest on that? And will that be something that could be used in the future? Yeah, um, the vaccine patents um, are a modifying those vaccine patents so other countries can, use, can produce the vaccines is a long-term uh, strategy that I think is very important and that, that should ultimately happen. Um, it's not a short-term solution. Um, the short-term solution is we've got to produce these vaccines and distribute them because it would take a long time for a country to get up, to build the facility, to develop the expertise, to even carry out the formulas that they would get from the pharmaceutical companies that make these. But I do think it's important that we stop looking at vaccines and the patent laws surrounding vaccines in the way we are. Because again, coming back to the, the notion that um, unless everybody's protected, no one's protected. Um, and that goes for your state, my state, my, our country and the world. So um, we, we don't have the ability here in the US and the few other countries that produce these vaccines to produce enough for the entire world alone. We need other countries to step up to the plate and to do that, we're gonna to have to modify these patents. So this, uh, this is news that broke yesterday, but the FDA um, approved a new drug for Alzheimer's Alzheimer's um, treatment called aducanumab. I am probably not saying that right, but that's the best I can do. So what do you think about that new drug? Because there are skeptics that say that it might not work very well. Sure. Um, I thought you did a very nice job pronouncing it, probably better than I could. The, this, this, this approval um, came um, after years of study in patients with Alzheimer's disease where we've noted that there's a 
proteinaceous material called amyloid that builds up in the brains of people with Alzheimer's disease. We don't know whether this is the cause of the dementia or whether this is just goes along with whatever is causing the dementia. The reason I wanted to mention that is that this particular drug that was just approved has been shown in animals and also in one double-blinded study to reduce the amount of that proteinaceous material, to reduce the amount of amyloid in the brains of people with, with uh, Alzheimer's disease. One of the studies that was done, double-blinded control study, did show a modest improvement, or at least it changed the slope favorably of decline in patients with Alzheimer's disease. It was not a cure. Another study that was double-blinded and controlled did not show that. So I think the controversy surrounding this relates to the fact that this is an expensive drug to produce. It's a, it will cost a great deal of money to administer it because it has to be done by an intravenous infusion. And it only has very modest benefit, if that. So that's where the controversy stems. Should, should it have been approved? Um, it's a, it's a, an interesting and important discussion because people with Alzheimer's disease, um, we know the natural history of that disease. It's one of uh, inexorable progression to death. Um, it's a terrible burden, not only for the patient, but the patient's family. And, and so anything that might help, one would want to use. Um, so my feet are pretty firmly planted in the air in terms of the FDA's decision. I can understand it, but I can also understand why there's a, a reluctance to approve this drug. So how does this new drug compare to other uh, forms of treatments for Alzheimer's? Because um, I know that there was another uh, treatment that was approved in 2003, I believe, and that was the last one since this new treatment. So like, how do they compare? And would you say that the previous um, FDA decisions were as uh, confusing as this one? Well, the drug that was approved in 2003 um, was not nearly as controversial because it's an oral medication with very few side effects. It also is, very, is, is not very effective. It may have some salutary effect, but it's very modest. So it was pretty easy to approve that based upon the data that it did show some improvement and it was inexpensive um, and safe to use and easy to use. Um, this particular drug approved yesterday is very expensive, um, not easy to use, um, and also looks like it has very modest effects. Well, thank you so much for talking to me about um, the new CDC guidance and um, the new decision, decisions that the FDA has made. You're welcome. It's always good to talk with you, Ezra. That's John Swartzberg. He works at UC Berkeley in the Division of Infectious Diseases.
Let's go now to the News Nerds Geographical Location Challenge. With first place internationally, we have the United States, with 97% of all News Nerds listeners. Norway takes second place with 1% of News Nerds listeners. And the runners-up for third place of this week are Portugal, Australia, Canada, the Philippines, the United Kingdom, Germany, Bosnia and Herzegovina, India, France, Switzerland, Spain, South Africa, Finland, and for the first time ever, Thailand. Okay, let's go to our U.S. challenge where we have our first place winner. It's Virginia with 13% of all U.S. listeners. New Jersey and Ohio take second place with both 7% of all United States listeners. And Washington this week takes third place with 6% of all listeners in the United States. it for this week's episode of News Nerds. On this week's episode, I was your host. I'm Ezra Graham. You can find us on the web at newsnerdspodcast.com. There you can listen to past episodes of News Nerds, Cow Pies, and other News Nerds extras. You can also listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. While you're there, please subscribe to the podcast. And while you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It really helps our ratings. Another way to listen is by listening on Thursdays at 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time on KGVM, Community Radio for the Gallatin Valley. If you are not in the Gallatin Valley area, go to KGVM's website, kgvm.org, to listen on their live stream. We'll be back next Wednesday with another episode of News Nerds. Until then, bye-bye.